This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. How many times have you woken up in the morning after the night before and said, that's it, I'm giving up alcohol? Last night was massive. There was banter, music, singing, dancing, and so much drinking. But now you feel terrible. Your head is pounding, your mouth is like an ashtray, and just moving around makes you feel like vomiting. You tell yourself, you're never going to do it again. Well, at least until you've had a decent breakfast. Maybe it's a full English. Bacon, eggs, grease, the lot. Or maybe it's just coffee and a codeine. But what would it take for you to give up alcohol for a whole year? Or even completely? Could you say no to beers with your workmates on a Friday night? Force yourself to drink juice or soft drink while your friends took shots and sipped cocktails? How about giving up that glass of wine over dinner? This is especially hard if you live in a city like Hong Kong, where the alcohol flows freely and there's always a new bar to discover among the bright lights of the big city. I'm Alkira Reinfrank, and you're listening to Behind the Story. Normally, you'd hear me on another podcast at the South China Morning Post called Eat Drink Asia, along with Bernice Chan. But the story behind this story that I'm talking about was written by this guy. Hi, I'm Patrick Blennerhassett. Patrick's been writing a column for the SCMP called The Runner, and his latest update has received a huge response from readers both in our comments section and on our social media. Working on this story has not just started a conversation in Hong Kong, this piece of immersive journalism has affected the journalist. But the story really starts a few months ago. Uh, Patrick, can you give me a little bit of background about the journey that you're on right now? Yeah, sure. So I moved to Hong Kong about two years ago, and I think I did what everybody does when they move to Hong Kong, is I immersed myself in the party scene One, to make lots of friends, uh, to sort of get a new social group. But what I found, and I think what a lot of people find when they move to Hong Kong, is there are a lot of opportunities to drink. (laughs) The party scene here is very robust. Uh, You can pretty much go out every night of the week and drink. And so I found myself kind of getting sucked into that. You know, I'm a very sort of outgoing guy. I like to hang out. I like to meet new people. I like to have fun. But I think after about a year, I started waking up and going, oh man, can I, how long can I do this? Is this sustainable? And I started to say to myself, I said, well, no, this is not sustainable. But the thing was, I really like Hong Kong. I like being here. I want to stay here. So I thought, can I find some semblance of sustainability? So I'm very goal-orientated. I'm like a a dog without a bone. Give me something to chase and I'll do that. So I thought to myself, what's the one thing that I want to do? I ran a marathon a couple years ago, trained really hard for six months, washed it all down the toilet the weekend before by drinking too much. So I said, I want to do that again, but if I'm going to do it this time, I'm not going to drink at all. And I started this in May, early May, 
And the marathon that I signed up for, the Hong Kong uh, Standard Chartered Hong Kong Marathon next February, will be basically nine months in total with no alcohol. Right now, I'm about six months in, and yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> that's where we are today. Look, I'm not going to mince my words here, Patrick. Look, you're wearing a really nice suit. You've got shiny shoes, but you know... No spring chicken, mate. What are you like? 55? 50. <laughs> 37. Okay. Oh, sorry. 37. Sorry. Close. close. You're close. Yeah. You're only off by decades. All right. So you're, very you're 37, close. but you yeah. know, you're you're a lean build, but mm. it, you haven't really been an athlete all your life, right? You had to kind of really build up to what you're doing. No, now. I have been an athlete. So, have you always been a runner? No, I have not. So, I was born and raised in Canada. So, I am genetically predisposed to be a hockey player and that's predominantly what I played growing up uh never played professionally played a little bit of you know sort of a couple levels below so I definitely have an athletic background but I never really got into running until I would say I moved to Hong Kong because uh it's difficult to play hockey here <laughs> there's not a lot there's not a lot of ice there's not, there's not a lot of ice here <laughs> And um, I realize, I think what I think a lot of people realize when they move to Hong Kong is there's a lot of green space here. I originally, whenever, whenever I visited the city, I would always stay sort of downtown on the island or, you know, you go to TST or Kowloon and you think this is just a city. But there is a lot of trails. There's a lot of hiking. So I just kind of gravitated towards running. I'm a tall, lean guy. You know, I'm kind of built for running to begin with. So it wasn't a huge stretch for me to strap on some shoes and, and start running. So that sort of, you know, I just kind of naturally fell into it as a, as a, as a sporting pastime here. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about the person you were back in May? And what was your relationship with alcohol? How often were you going out and drinking? And was it binge drinking or just, you know, a beer here and there? It was not a healthy relationship. Like, look, look, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll be candid. Um, I was writing off, you know, one, maybe two days a week, usually on the weekend, to a hangover. And I think, you know, a lot of people do that. Um, you know, I, I think it was never the point where I was saying, I'm an alcoholic, I have a problem, anything like that, because I was always able to, you know, get up and go to work, hold down a job, you know, have friends and all that. You know, I wasn't an angry drunk or anything like that. I get happy when I'm drunk. But it just got to the point where I was basically like, I would get off work, go out Friday night, have a bunch of beers, and then spend pretty much all day Saturday in bed recover Sunday and then go back to work and, you know, or maybe go out a little bit on Saturday. And I was thinking, I, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, this is just wearing on me. There's got to be something else that I can do. I'm no spring chicken anymore, as you have no, so kindly pointed <laughs> out. So I thought, you know, uh, hey, you know, I drank a lot in my 20s. I partied a lot in my 20s. I did the same thing in most of my 30s. You know, I, I feel like maybe it's time for me to take a different path. So that was sort of the genesis of this. So I'm a journalist. So naturally, I want to investigate this. I want to talk to people. I want to hear their stories. I want to see if my story is similar to other people's stories. And instantly, I found out that, yes, my story is incredibly commonplace in Hong Kong. So you've actually written a feature about this, and you've spoken to four different runners to see their relationship with alcohol. What did you find? 
It was really interesting because I think I got lucky because I found a, a great spectrum. Uh, I talked to one guy who has never drank in his life. Uh, I talked to his partner. Uh, she uh, was in a previous relationship with somebody who had an issue with alcohol and now is with, with him who doesn't drink. Uh, I talked to another guy who quit drinking, went cold turkey about four years ago. So he's, you know, sober, as they would say. And then I spoke to another guy who does a very interesting thing is that he does periods of sobriety while he's training. He's an ultra runner. So these are longer distances. We're talking 100 kilometers and even longer, like epic three, four day things with no sleep. He does periods of sobriety. So I got an excellent spectrum from the story. But I think one of the things that I found, though, even though these People were all incredibly diverse and their stories were very varied. There was definitely some common threads running mm. through all of them. And I guess what was something you learned? What were some of the common threads? I think the one common thread was that all of these people had, I would say, a similar personality trait to myself. Is Going back to that analogy of the dog without a bone. When you do something, you are in 100%. And when I do something, I'm in 100%. And if that's drinking alcohol, <laughs> that <laughs> is, <You're there. laughs> that's 100%. I'm all there, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm drinking till I get drunk and till I've pushed it to my limit. And I think what I found was that these runners basically had that with alcohol and mm -hmm. decided to shift that sort of, uh, I don't want to say passion, but that personality trait into running. And I think that's what essentially that's what makes them successful runners is that they're willing to commit to something 100 percent. Because if you're going to run 100 kilometers, if you're going to run for two days, if you're going to absolutely destroy your body in training, you can't you can't sort of do it wishy washy. It's all or nothing. Right. And each one of these people that I spoke to, they have that sort of trait inside them where it's like an on off switch. And I thought that that was really interesting because it goes to show that not only does that apply to drinking and partying, but it can apply to sports and vice versa. So um, fascinating to sort of learn that. A lot of people who talk about giving up alcohol say that they have this moment of clarity. Uh, did, did you have that? Did some of the people you spoke to, some of the runners, did they have this, this moment? Yeah, definitely. For me, I think my moment of clarity was earlier in the year. Uh, my family came and visited me in Hong Kong and my sister and my mom and dad. And I was hung over when I picked up my sister from the MTR. And she sort of looked at me and she said, oh, man, you're hung over. And I said, yeah. And hanging out with them sort of reminded me, you know, I'm not just a reporter journalist in Hong Kong. I am a son and a brother. And I thought, OK, it's time for something else. And that was my sort of moment of clarity was coming back down to earth and, and realizing who I was as a person and saying, I don't want to be this person anymore. I would like to try consciously to be a different person. And what I saw in the stories, uh, talking to the people about their stories was they had similar instances. One guy got so drunk, he sort of, you know, yelled at his teammates during a Dragon Boat Festival uh, one other guy uh, basically had a physical at 40 and he was overweight and his doctor said, your cholesterol is really high. And so that was sort of their turning points. And then the third guy who's basically never drank in his entire life 
grew up around alcoholism and was sort of seated with that. So that was his moment of clarity, even though it came really early in his life. And I think even talking to people that I didn't quote for this article and just the general conversations that I've had, everyone has had that moment of clarity. It may have been, you know, half a dozen moments of clarity, but when it finally becomes clear, it becomes, you know, crystal clear. Mm. But it's not just when you give up alcohol. It's not just this idea of being healthier physically. Um, it's also mentally, right? How did you find it? Did, did these other runners, do they have this, the same uh, situation where it's a whole experience for the body, I guess? Yeah, it, it, you are shocking your body and your mind in a good way. And I think one of the things that I didn't expect, I expected the physical benefits to come because that's what I was focusing on. I wanted to, you can't run a hundred kilometers a week in training like I'm doing and drink alcohol and expect to hit your maximum potential. So that was my sort of, that was what I was looking to achieve. But then I found that a whole bunch of other mental benefits came along as well when you don't drink is that you can't wash away problems. You can't hide from problems. You can't hide from difficult social interactions. You can't hide from past instances that you haven't gotten over. When you quit drinking, you basically quit lubricating life. And for me, for the first weeks and few months, that was really tough because I am all about sliding into the weekend on a couple of beers you know, washing away those difficult moments with, you know, just having a fun night out and just sort of letting it fly. And when you can't do that, it's just you and the guy in the mirror. And when you first start looking at this person, you're like, oh, man, I don't really like this guy. You know, I might not hate him, but it's like, I got to clean this up. So I think that's what I've sort of seen in myself. And also with these stories is that these people started having I want to say unfiltered and unstopped conversations with themselves because without alcohol, you have to face up to yourself and you have to face up to your past and what you've done and, and the type of person that you want to be. So, yeah, it's, it's a very, you know, no pun intended, it's a very sobering feeling. Mm. So, But what about this? You've, you've talked about the social side and I guess alcohol is that social lubricant. How did you find it? How did the other people you've spoken to find, I guess, navigating the social scene in Hong Kong as a sober mm. person? Yeah, so I didn't want to, I didn't feel as if I had enough of a problem or anywhere near of a problem to do the whole AA route. <laughs> um, so I just said, look, I'm not going to change anything about my lifestyle. I'm still going to go out for dinners. I'm still going to go out with my friends. I'm just not going to drink. It, it, you know, it was amazing how much this threw people. It was like, like you walk into a bar with a big clown hat on. Like you just, you cannot escape this conversation. And these people are so fascinated by the fact that you're out with them, not drinking, having a soda water. Like it's just like, I don't want to say you're a pariah, but you're like a unicorn walking into the room after a while. They're like, oh my God, here's the guy who doesn't drink. <laughs> and the people that I interviewed for this story, really interesting. One guy did go sort of do the AA route. And so he had to sort of cut out his drinking buddy friends. And that's fine. I think that works for some people. 
The other guy who does sort of these bursts of sobriety, he does the same thing that I do, is that he still goes out and he still does the social interaction. You know, he does brunch, he does dinner, he does go out to celebrations, but he just has a water. And he said a really interesting thing was that he says that people will have an actual issue with him not drinking. Like he'll be hanging around at a bar having a soda water and somebody would come up to be like, why are you not drinking? You'd be like, well, I'm training for a hundred K ultra marathon. And they'll be like, Oh, okay. No, but what, what, what's going on here? And he'd be like, does that not suffice? (laughs) What else do you want from me? And he said, and I, and I think what I got from that and what I've seen is that I hate to say this, but I think what it does is it turns a mirror on that person a little bit. They go, man, this guy can go out and hang out and not drink. What Could I do that? Why can't I do that? And I think that's what sort of uh, ticks off people is that here's this person who's able to still partake in Hong Kong's sort of very vast, robust social life and not get hammered. So take me back to that first weekend. You know, mm-hmm. you've done the hard yards at work. It's Friday. You've told yourself you're not going to drink. Take me through those those three days. So... I will admit the first weekend, I didn't go out. I stayed in, didn't answer my phone because I thought, okay, this is super fresh. And I had written a column that came out in the South China Morning Post saying I was quitting drinking to train for the Hong Kong Marathon. So you can't really go get hammered that day. So everybody knew and (laughs) everybody was messaging me like, are you okay? Are you dying? What is wrong? You know, all this type of stuff. So I was like, I got to I got to take a breather. So I spent the first weekend just by myself, went to the gym, just took it easy. Um and then the second weekend I said, "You know what? Here we go. I'm just going to do this." Uh the guys that I hang out with were saying, "Hey, we're going to go out. We're going to have a few drinks at dinner." And I said, "Yeah, I'm in." And as soon as I got there, it was like a serious point of conversation for you know, a substantial portion of the night. And what I found was after a while, it just kind of no longer became a point of conversation. People just kind of, I don't know if they got bored of it or they just accepted the fact that I was actually doing this. And it got to the point where it was really interesting a couple of weeks ago. I went out for a dinner. And you know when you do a dinner in Hong Kong, you do that shared meal where everybody pays a certain amount and you get free flow. I got there, got to the end of the meal and went to pay my, uh, I think it was $700. And the person who was organizing the dinner said, oh, no, Patrick, you only have to pay 500 because you don't drink. And she had already gone and done that without even sort of, you know, consulting with me because she knew that I wasn't drinking. And I had this, I wanted to hug her, but there was, you know, I didn't want to like make a scene, but I had this moment of, uh, you know, I had this real moment where I was like, all right, it just seems like people have just accepted this. And that's what people will do is if you do something long enough, like people will just generally be like, all right, Patrick doesn't drink. Mm -hmm. That's all right. Here we go. Let's continue with life. Right. So. How much of this is for you and how much of this is you have to stick to it because you're writing this column and this, <laughs> <laughs> this sto- these stories? You know what? It's, it's really interesting because I, I definitely knew that it would help me if I put this out in the world because I did, I did a fair amount of reading about, you know, the best way to do this. And 
all the things that I read said that you need to tell everybody. You got to just be an open book. And I thought, you know, I'm a journalist. What better way to be an open book than to do a column about it? And I think it created a sense of accountability with me because instantly everybody knows. My work colleagues know. My mates know. You know, my family back home knows. I went home to Canada uh, on vacation and everybody back home knows because, you know, they read my stories that I post on Facebook once in a while. But I will say that at the end of the day, yeah, this is about me and this is about my, not necessarily crisis, but my sort of quest to maybe find a different path in this city outside of, you know, the drinking scene. What about the people that are reading your column? You know, you've had great responses from people. Are people coming on that journey with you? Yeah, definitely. A lot of people have reached out to me and I think it's really interesting because I I don't necessarily think that they're looking for feedback or they're asking for advice. I think they just want to share their story too because everybody has a story and I want to say pretty much everybody has a story with alcohol. And so it's been interesting to see people say things like, oh, I did this five years ago. I quit drinking for two years and I got a personal best at a marathon. Or, you know, my life was going a certain way. I decided to quit drinking and now I'm an ultra marathoner. I'm a triathlete. Um, you know, it's all very sort of similar in some respects is that People had relationships with alcohol that had basically soured and they decided that instead of just quitting drinking and going sober, they were going to channel that energy into a physical activity. I think that's a real common thread. And I think it works because you're taking that energy that you had and instead of just sort of bottling it up, no pun intended, you're you're putting it somewhere else and you're putting it into something that's healthy and sustainable and that you can sort of, uh, you know, transfer that sort of energy that you have. Okay, so February comes around. You run the marathon and technically you're allowed to start drinking again. Have you thought about what's going to happen there? Are you going to pick up alcohol again? Do you think your relationship with alcohol is forever changed because of this or will you keep being sober? Yeah, that's a difficult question. (laughs) You know, I have sort of, I don't want to say I've gone back and forth, but I have definitely had some weeks where I'm like, yeah, I'm never drinking again in my life. And then other weeks I'm thinking, yeah, it would be nice to be able to have a glass of wine every once in a while or go with my mates and have a few beers. But I think the problem with me is that the problem is the same problem that the people that I interviewed for this story have. They can't do balance. They, they don't do balance very well. They are very productive people. Uh, you know, these people have high-powered jobs. They work hard, um, but they also play hard. So for me, I'm not sure that my personality is going to change. So I, it, it's the type of thing where I'm sort of saying, after the marathon, I'm, I'm going to make that decision. But if you were to ask me today, right now, would I ever drink again? I'd be like, no, not going to happen. I'm never going to drink again in my life. But I don't want to say that that might change down the road. You know, and it's interesting talking to people, one of the, talking to one of the guys in the story. He does periods of sobriety. 
that might be something I could try. You know, let's say that I want to run an ultra marathon at the tail end of 2020. So maybe I drink again for a couple months and then I say I'm not going to drink for six months, you know, or I just get to February and I think, yeah, let's do this. You know, I'm I'm pushing 40. I've drank enough for probably two, maybe even three lifetimes. I don't need alcohol as a social lubricant anymore. I don't need alcohol to feel happy. I don't need it. Um, you know, th- there's no cost benefit analysis for it any- for me anymore. The only thing that I think I really sort of needed it was possibly needed it for was, you know, that social lubricant when you first get out and meet people and you, you, you just want to have that drink in your hand is kind of like a, a comfort blanket, right? Mm. I don't need that anymore. So it's like, why would I ever drink again? Like, I'm, I, it was funny. Somebody asked me about it and I, and, uh, I said, you know, some people don't like certain fruits and vegetables. Or they don't like sushi. So they don't eat sushi. Could I have a conversation with myself where I say, I don't like alcohol, so I just don't drink it, right? And what we're seeing with the culture and, you know, if you Google sober curious, this is a wave that is coming in on the backs of Generation Z, washing into millennials like myself who are saying enough is enough. I'm changing my relationship with alcohol and I'm changing it right now. Thanks for listening to this edition of Behind the Story. It's based around a feature initially published on the SCMP titled I Quit Alcohol and I'm Amazed at How My Mental Health Has Improved, written by Patrick Bladderhazard. Now, Patrick really isn't big on social media. Somehow in the year 2019, he's not on Instagram or Twitter, but I'm on Twitter. So if you're listening to Patrick's story and it has inspired you to make a change in your life, I'd love to hear from you. Please find me on Twitter at Alkira Reinfrank. Now, this is a unique kind of podcast where we interview journalists about how they cover a story and we take a bit of a dive into what else is going on behind that story and, and hear from them. But don't forget the other fabulous podcasts we make here at the South China Morning Post. So check out Eat Drink Asia, Inside China Tech, Inside China and our weekly podcast, the US-China Trade War Update. My name's Alkira Reinfrank. Thank you for listening.